you gave 150 million Doritos to what? I don't. <laughs> Clearly, Google Translate is broken. A lot more structure, I would say, to, to the way the Blue Jays operate now as opposed to uh, when Alex was in charge. Welcome to episode number 38 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we've spent the last two weeks trying to accurately count the number of stitches on the ball. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Josh Housem. Joshua, how are you? I'm good. You? Uh, I'm good. And I have here in front of me a list of names of people who are not Toronto Blue Jays. I'm, I'm not even going to run down the list. This is essentially our podcast uh, first half is, hey, we we really like the idea of him being a Blue Jay, but he's not a Blue Jay anymore. Um, you know, I, if I've spoiled the surprise there. Um, because Blue Jays themselves don't seem to have done very much. Uh, but we do have an interview after that with Shai Davidi. Uh, he's going to talk to us about the upcoming winter meetings and some thoughts. Now, that was recorded just before the new collective bargaining agreement was uh, finalized um so there's some things in that interview and then we're gonna we're gonna talk about what we know now as opposed to what we knew then and we will of course take your listener questions because we appreciate you contributing those every week uh, a whole lot of theoretical questions of course because the blue jays keep not doing things uh let us begin with the one that got away perhaps that we know got away brett cecil a a what a quiet legend in blue jays history He's yeah. now going to wear red. Yes. The Cardinals gave him a four-year, $30.5 million deal, which, you know, good for Cecil, obviously, right? Um, that might come as a surprise to some people. A lot of relievers don't get four-year deals, but he basically got the Darren O'Day contract that he got with Baltimore last year as an elite setup man, which, despite what people in Toronto think, he has been for the last four years. Yeah. Most relievers have a, a certain amount of fluctuation in their their uh success rate because there's so few innings for them to be you know perfect in that it you know a, a bad two two weeks can make them look horrible over the course of a season and then you look back at it and you're like oh there's only really two bad weeks but his era is over four for some reason because those two weeks were really bad um and then turn around cecil while he was here through a, a hidden no hitter um which i think people forget um he also uh what was the record he set for scoreless uh, I think appearance? it was 37 consecutive yeah. I think that's what it was uh scoreless innings Yep So really some remarkable things but because the failures of a reliever get magnified and he was not a closer so you couldn't point at his saves totals I think yeah he did get a a bit of a a short shrift from the casual fan which is unfortunate yeah, I mean, that's going to happen too, especially for if you are a short reliever and you blow some leads, fans are just going to, yeah, you know, they're going to not like you. <laughs> it's just, just, just the nature of the of the beast of being <laughs> a short reliever. Yeah, that's, and, that's regardless of the city. Yeah, and it, it's just the way it was. But I mean, over the last four years, he had an ERA of 2.9. I'm, I'm, I'm on your side. I, I'm going to yeah. miss the curveball, man. 
Oh, yeah. At least he went to the National League, though, so he won't be getting our guys out. <laughs> that is always a bonus when someone leaves uh, and they don't end up in the division as a free agent. That's always just like, oh, come on, really? The whole A.J. <laughs> Burnett to the Yankees thing was like, come on. Do we have to go through this? Yeah. That wasn't good. But thankfully, it did not happen with Cecil. So name number two is Edwin Encarnacion, who, I mean, we, we've been pretty much resigned to the fact since the Kendris Morales signing, not going to be a Blue Jay. The latest and greatest is what destination for Edwin? Because, you know, it changes every five minutes what the terms and location are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, there were all these rumors at the beginning of the offseason he was definitely going to Boston, even though what we said on this podcast, that that didn't make a whole lot of sense given their roster makeup. Uh, but now... All day today, this is Wednesday, it's basically been like he's going to Houston. And now there's a new report. He's agreed to a five-year, $115 million deal. But it's not coming from anybody that normally reports these kind of things. So Yeah. Would you like me to read the tweet? Go for it. Uh, Fuente. Edwin Encarnacion podría firmar con los Astros de Houston. Se habla de un contrato multianual de cinco años y... U.S. I don't know how to say 115 in Spanish. Millones. <laughs> <laughs> That's from Hector Gomez, who uh, uh, maybe he's got the inside line because he's he's with uh, the Spanish language media. I don't know why he he got that first, but uh, sure, I'll believe it. I haven't even yeah. translated it. Could mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> he gave 150 million Doritos to what? I don't. <laughs> Clearly, Google Translate is broken. Um, yeah. So I mean, Houston is not uh, not an unreasonable destination, from what I've people have been telling me. No, I mean they they always been have been talking about you know making noise in this off season, and there were there was this idea that they were going to load up on hitters, and then trade some of their young bats for pitching because there's no pitching on this free agency, and so they've already added Brian McCann. They've added Josh Reddick, and now it's possible, potentially, Edward Encarnacion. We don't really know yet, but it would make sense. Now, McCann was a trade? Yes. Yeah, he was picked up because the Yankees have Gary Sanchez, so right. they're going to get rid of McCann. Reddick was a free agent. Yep. So, whatever way they can, they're going to load up. Not that they were bad last year. But, no, uh, no, but just the, this idea that if they get all these bats, they can trade one of their young hitters like uh, the Alex Bregman or maybe Springer. George Springer or something like that, which we actually have a question about that later. But, you know, and then go get pitching because there's just no pitching on this market. It sounds like the Houston Astros are a much more exciting team than the one we're podcasting about. Can we can we switch next week? <laughs> just No. You're not allowed to do that? <laughs> okay. Uh, name number three in no particular order of my names. Matt Joyce. Former yeah. Ray. What was, he, was he most recently a Ray or did he get moved around somewhere? I think he's with Pittsburgh. Maybe. Yes, yeah, so I think he was a pirate last year. Um, I mean, we're going to go through this pretty quickly, but just these guys that were like, oh, the Jays could get this guy, could get the guy. Well, he signed with Oakland, so he's not coming. Okay, uh, and then Nori Aoki looked like maybe a non-tender candidate. Yeah, this sort of fit with the Houston thing where they just, you know, they picked up Josh Reddick and there's nowhere really for him to play because uh, we talked about Lourdes Goriel's brother, Ulyeski, is in Houston. He's going to play the other outfield spot with, with Springer, but 
Uh, yeah, they they avoid arbitration five and a half million. So nope, he's not coming either. Well, that was uh, I mean, I don't even think it was a lot of people's pipe dream, but uh, if it was, sorry, I uh, hate to disappoint. I guess that <laughs> the dream is dead. Yeah. I, now, I didn't want I didn't want him. I didn't want Josh Reddick. I don't want any of these. Joyce would have been interesting because he actually legitimately is a good platoon bat. But I don't want these guys that are going to cost money that aren't stars. Are we, are we leading into the next guy you don't want? <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> you got ahead of yourself, maybe. Um, the name that will not die, Jay Bruce. Yeah, I think we need to spend some time on this one. I mean... <laughs> How? When was the first time we heard Jay Bruce to the Blue Jays? Was it two years ago? Was it three years ago? I believe that, well, I became aware of it two years ago, but it probably was three because I like to ignore trade rumors because so few of them actually come to pan out. Um, the whole Michael Saunders thing. It, what, was he not already traded here? Really? Yeah, that was <laughs> last year at the beginning of the season. Saunders was <laughs> traded for Bruce. <laughs> and then suddenly he wasn't. Yeah, so... Yeah, this is a rumor that won't die. But Bruce is not very good. That's the problem. That's why he could be traded for Michael Saunders, presumably. Yeah, exactly. Um, and here's the thing with Bruce. Like, if Bruce wasn't making $13 million, he'd be useful. You know, it's like a platoon bat. He hits righties very well, but he can't play defense, and he can't hit lefties very at all. So it's like, it's not really worth $13 million and assets to trade for him. No, it's throwing good money after a problem um and, and and getting yourself a problem back and uh, of all the things the blue jays kevin pilar only has so much range well i mean it, this is interesting because they just re-signed yoannis espedes for four years 110 million so they have to cut some somebody from their outfield because they've got too many guys right now so you pick the the 36 year old curtis granderson as the first guy you want to get rid of i assume due to age and declining skill set well, I don't even know if that's that they would choose to trade him more. I just think he's more desirable, actually, because his skills actually aren't declining that much, and he can still play the outfield. He just can't play center anymore. Now, I heard something about Granderson not necessarily wanting to move. Does he have an... I don't remember if he has a no trade or not. Mm, I'm not sure, actually. That would be a downside, of course. <laughs> yes. You yes. Know no trade people... clauses tend to make it a little more difficult. Um, look, and... It doesn't look like he has one. Okay. Well, then we're good. And he's not a 5-10 and 10 with the Mets. No, nope. That's only like three years he's been there, I think. Yeah, and he's on the last year of a four-year deal, so it makes sense for a short-term acquisition. All right, Grandy Man. That's we're still Grandy. Okay, he's not the highlight. He's not the top guy. Um, as we discussed with Shy, the, the guy who, the name that won't go away for everybody is Dexter Fowler. Do you think yeah. the Jays are really mm -hmm. in there? Hey, Fowler would be perfect. I think we both agree on that, right? I mean, he's a switch oh, yeah. hitter. He gets on base a lot, and he, he good outfielder, good speed, good batting average, decent pop. I mean, he's exactly what this team needs at the top of their lineup. And like like we've mentioned, and a whole bunch of other people need him too, which yeah. is why. And we're just now it's just like, oh, the Jays love Fowler coming from John Heyman. It's like, well, of course they love Fowler. Everybody loves Fowler. I don't understand. I I understand it because it's just sort of convention. But the 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 sort of love life slash dating language that pops up around free agency is is always the Blue Jays are interested in. The Blue Jays love. Uh, they've reached out. It's like what <laughs> they would like to pay him money to play baseball that is what they have told it's not this is not a love affair um this but it is, could be greg yeah it could, it could be, be beautiful they're a good match <laughs> it 
Can, can you imagine a jo- job interview, you know, where you, you were trying to say, we think you're a good match. We really love you. I just, I don't know. It's a strange business because there's only so you many You know what? If someone there. offered me the kind of contract money that, Devin, that Dexter Fowler is going to get, they could say whatever they want. <laughs> uh, so I would assume that Fowler is, well, obviously we're all thinking Encarnacion because of all the rumors is going to go first. Where do you think Fowler goes? Does he hang around for a bit just to see some team is really out of other options and decides to pony up for him or or does he jump as soon as somebody hits his magic number it's kind of tough to say i mean uh, the cubs were obviously thought to be a suitor for him but they just signed john jay for one year eight million they've got too many outfielders now as well so i mean the cardinals obviously would want him i mean a bunch of teams would want him but it's really hard to predict where his market's going to go i think maybe some teams are planning on just using a rover this year <laughs> I just saw I can't remember who it was someone tweeted this out it was pretty funny it, it was like the Jays should trade for Billy Hamilton yeah and then just play Pilar and Hamilton in the outfield on days when Stroman and Sanchez are pitching and play five infielders yeah I mean this game needs a little shaken up that's what they've told us for ages why not why not just two outfielders how bad could it be I mean you got a lot of spray charts right I mean what's what's the occasional inside the park home run balanced against all those extra outs on the ground <laughs> It reminds me of that uh, that play, for, I think it was two years ago, where the Dodgers had four infielders on the right side of the field. Yeah, they, like the pictures of that were just like, what? Is it? Is there? Did someone duplicate somebody in Photoshop? Is that what's going on? <laughs> no. And it worked. Yeah. Well, it only needs to work once to be an okay strategy when it's, you know, extra innings and infielders everywhere. It was really fine, too, because it worked. So there was one out and they got that out of the plate and then they went back to normal defense and then a hit won the game. <laughs> I just remember the last time the Blue Jays went against the Angels and had the uh, the extra infielders, and it was hit at the outfielder playing the infield, and they won on that play. And it's like always, if you're gonna if you're gonna hit it on the ground, hit it to the outfielder because <laughs> what is he gonna do anyway? Uh, okay, is that a series? Move off of the rails. Names? Yeah, I think we've kind of yeah. That was our my last name on my list. Is there somebody who you would like to mention before we go talk to uh, to our interview? Well, we're going to get some questions about this, but obviously the, the big name that has come up that is out there, and apparently the Pirates are shopping Andrew McCutcheon, which, I mean, it, it makes sense from one standpoint, and then he did, had a down year. They're probably not going to win this year, and he's coming up on free agency in two years, so get what they can now, but, I mean, that's a big name. Oh, huge, but I, the sell-low aspect of it always just makes me scratch my head. You've got one well, more year to, to see what you've... I mean, do you really think he's going to be worse than last year? And you can still well, get a full year out of him. I think the argument there is that, you know, if they don't, if they sell him in a year, you're only getting one year of Andrew McCutcheon. Whereas now they can play like, oh, you know, he had a great end of the season, August and September. He was hurt earlier in the year. He's better now. You're getting two years of an MVP. How, how many nickels do I get for every time someone says he had a great September? Yeah, I said August and September. <laughs> oh, yes, August, yes. Critical month. Um, no, but it, when it comes to a guy, a star player who was having a down season, when he starts producing again, it does tend to wake people up. It's like what we were doing with Troy Tulowitzki last year. Who has been, over the past two seasons, an exactly average hitter at his position, which is ironic. But we'll get into that some other day. Uh, we will come back in just a few seconds and talk to Shai Davidi of Sportsnet. 
about all the goings on in the offseason so far. See you in a sec. And some of these names we've talked about will actually come up again. are joined once again by Shai Davidi of Sportsnet. Uh, nice to talk to you again, Shai. How is it going out there uh, on the highway? It's all good. Nice uh, traffic-free night, which is always a uh, always a pleasant thing in the city of Toronto. So no complaints <laughs> right now. I think we just proved that Shai's not actually in Toronto because there's no way that's true. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> alternate universe bizarro North Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. North so Toronto, we're a little bit clearer than downtown. <laughs> so this has been a a big week uh, for for sort of rumor in the baseball world, if, if not a lot of happenings, because there is this whole new collective bargaining agreement or CBA uh, negotiation going on. And just before we started recording this, the, the latest thing that came out, I guess we could start with, is uh, Ken Rosenthal has tweeted that the owners have backed away from requiring an international draft as as uh, one of their bargaining points. So, what does that say to you, having watching the CBA? Well, what it says is that the uh, the, the players must have surrendered some other give back uh, in order to, uh, to to get the owners to drop this because this is something Rob Manfred, in particular, seems to be set on. Uh, as a way to more evenly distribute the talent that's around the world, and uh, you know, without understandably so, you can see why owners are maybe not so thrilled with uh, some of the posting fee systems uh, to get players out of Asia. The way that really precludes some of the smaller market clubs from competing from those players. Uh, it's really uh, as all these different restraints have been put into various player procurement processes. This is one area where rich teams can still on a consistent basis beat uh, the smaller clubs. So the fact that the owners uh, apparently are backing away from it is, is a very significant concession. Yeah, and, and so I'm curious to see what the, what the give back on the player side was uh, in order to get the owners to drop that. Were you surprised that the players fought so hard for this, given how little the attention they paid to amateurs in the past? Well, yes and no. So, in general, players are more concerned about the money being allocated to big league players as opposed to being spent on these kids who are unproven, right? So, the fact that they would fight tooth and nail against it is a bit counterintuitive because if they're limiting the money that's going to those players, then that should, in theory, mean more money being directed to big league rosters. Now, the counter to that is that just because owners are saving that money, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to put the money into their big league player payroll. You know, see what teams who have been tanking in recent years have been doing. Uh, the Marlins in general, uh, and when they're in their usual cut costs, uh, not don't, don't spend kind of cycles. So, uh, you know, the, that's the, the, the player point of view is they want as few restraints artificial restraints on player salary as possible. So hence the reason that they would fight so 
so vehemently against it, even though it does seem a little bit counterintuitive because, again, in theory, it should be more money on being spent on big league rosters. Because in baseball, unlike other sports, there's nothing in the agreement right now about what percentage of revenue goes to the you know back to the owner's pocket and what what percentage goes to the players. Um, which, despite all of the money that you I, we see thrown around in baseball, the percentage actually is skewed in the owner's favor in baseball still. Well, I think yeah, it depends I mean, on the reporting. That, that, that numbers is debated. Yeah, that number has been debated a lot of times too. Whether, but like, I think the general consensus is in the forty-seven, forty-eight percent range to to players. I think fifty-two, fifty-three in, in favor of owners, and and obviously every sport works in different ways to try and divide the pie. I think one of the reasons that owners have in in the last decade and a half or so backed away from the demand, the longstanding demand or goal uh, of the salary cap is because that share seems to be favoring them a little bit. Now, you know, does that change? How does that ultimately sit? You know, again, it's very difficult to say because I think there's all kinds of ways for for teams and and individual ownerships to, to hide money or to manipulate various process. So, you know, never take anything at face value. But really what's happened over the past decade and a half is a lot of guys, a lot of people, players and owners have gotten very rich, made a lot of money. And so that's because everything's been so plentiful and it's been such a, you know, a largely prosperous time in the game. I have, I've had trouble believing that all the, all the lockout talk in the last couple of weeks has been anything more than, you know, a, a commissioner and uh, and a players union had negotiating a CBA with one another for the first time, trying to make sure that they appear tough to their constituents. Yeah, and then given that, do you sense that, you know, any of this this talk about how the CBA, lack of a CBA, is slowing the offseason, do you feel that that's actually the case, or is that, or, or are the GMs and owners sort of have an idea what it's going to be, and it's just slow because it's slow? You know what? It's interesting. I've talked to a lot of agents, and the agents, particularly for those representing sort of the bigger name clients, legitimately feel that's a factor. And I think one factor for all the qualified free agents is that if the new CBA does end up eliminating the compensation for free agents, uh, compensatory draft picks, that's going to change the game for the the 16 or 17 qualified free agents uh, and open up a host of possibilities for them. So I think that a lot of teams are legitimately taking a wait-and-see approach and that we may see some more aggressive bidding uh, for certain players if uh, if that does indeed come to pass. And I think that, that there is, I mean, Dave Dombrowski, you know, was one of the one of the GMs who, uh, presidents uh, who out and out said that, you know, they were going to back away until they found out what the luxury tax threshold was, and that would impact their plans. And, you know, I imagine teams like Texas and, and Anaheim and all the other clubs that are in and around the cap, the Yankees, uh, are going to change their plans based on where that final number do, does end up. So I don't think that – I think that's legitimate. I think that's one part of it. And I think because there's been so little action on the bigger names, uh, the middle tier has been far busier – but a lot, but some of the middle tier guys want to wait and see what the big boys get before they end up uh, committing themselves. 
So here we are, uh, just a few days before the big winter meetings, as they say. Now, this gets bumped up as having, you know, all of the action over the winter. I, I think you know, maybe sometimes it gets overstated. But uh, so where are the winter meetings this year, I guess, for those who don't know? Are, are they, they somewhere luxurious? No, they're in Washington, D.C., of all places. So it's uh, it's not tropical at all. I don't think people as excited about this one is uh, or last year was Nashville and that one's not such a popular site either but at least it's uh, pleasant outside um, so yeah not not uh, not uh, exotic or anything fun like that so for for you guys uh, reporting on it it's it's a you know a 24 hour you can't blink or you'll miss it because we get a lot of that those jokes sort of on Twitter that you know Ken Rosenthal becomes a, a vampire zombie or something for for several days uh, but do you think a lot of business is is in a typical you're really done there or is it just a time when people get to talk about it because it's everybody's in one spot well it depends you know like when was it, it was, uh, two winter meetings ago in San Diego there was you know, a total turnover all across the game, free agents. There was like the, the bevy of trades. The Dodgers turned their roster over uh, spectacularly. San Diego made a bunch of moves. Uh, there were, it was a lot of action. Uh, and then you have some more quiet years. Uh, like last year, Nashville uh, was, was relatively quiet. So it depends on the pace of the off season. I think because of the delay this year, and that so much has yet to be done, uh, and my my guess is that we'll get a CBA announcement, uh, news conference on the first day of the winter meetings, and then we'll see the dam open up and, and a bunch of things go down. Uh, I think this year this year is going to be spectacularly busy. Uh, well, at least uh, I, I'm hoping so because that will make uh, that'll make the uh, the the uh, the four, four and a half days in the lobby there at the at the hotel a lot more exciting. <laughs> Well, otherwise you get to just be really social. It just it has to be in the lobby. Like it's just—it's so—it's like it's not like it's an actual room or a conference place or something where they. No, they're doing just hang out in the lobby and hope that something drifts by. <laughs> well, it was basically what it is. You're just kind of stalking people. I think it's different now, right? Like back in the day, before everybody had a smartphone and all that stuff. Like basically, you just had to hunt for people. And then you'd meet your sources, and uh, you know when they when they can't come out of their out of their rooms or their war rooms for some air, and you know you ferret out some some nuggets, and then you go you know do your thing. Uh, these days it's a little bit easier. You know you can be, communicate people with start smartphones. Uh, you know there's scheduled media avails with uh, every team does with their with their GM. So it, it's certainly a bit more organized, but. You still nothing beats in my in my opinion face to face contact because you know you can see the person. So if you're you know you want to talk with an agent, and you have a conversation with them. You can read their face and get a bit more. And because you're having a real interpersonal connection, you may get a a bit more information out of someone that way. Yeah, that makes sense. But uh, you know, and now that with this with all this stuff that needs to happen, just take this a little more specific to our listeners and the Jays. You wrote a piece that came out sure. today. This is Monday, but um, just sort of a Jays fact, and, you know, uh, FAQ. And you, you mentioned at one point that the Jays seem to be in a wait and see mode, debating between going high end for a guy like Fowler or spreading it for a bunch of lower guys. How is it that a team could be at this point in the offseason and not really know the answer to that yet? Well, sometimes you may have your preferred option, 
and you know you wait you have to wait for your preferred option to to make the decision and i don't know for a fact that dexter fowler is their preferred option but i do believe that they're quite fond of him and they feel that in a lot of ways he's sort of a perfect fit for them uh, he's left-handed uh, uh or sorry switch hitter um high on base, bring some speed. Uh, I, you know, my, my understanding is that he's willing to come off center. He'd probably be a plus defender in one of the corners. Uh, you know, th- there's a lot to that package that, that really makes sense. He, he fits a lot of needs, checks a lot of boxes for the Blue Jays. Now, he checks a lot of boxes for a lot of teams. And, you know, uh, I'm just spitballing here, but a team like the Cardinals, a team like the Giants, I mean, they could be all over him. And at that point, you know, the decision is his. You know, you can try to force that, force the issue, but ultimately you can't force them to sign here. So the Blue Jays may be waiting on something like that. Again, that's speculation on my part, not not facts. But if they're waiting for, for someone like that or, or they're waiting for a domino to fall and then they need that to happen in order to execute their plan, that would explain what's going on right now. But it, to me, in a lot of ways, the key for them was – Make getting Morales when when they couldn't get Edwin and Carnacion locked up uh, early at the GM meetings. You know at that point they felt they had to get at least one potential middle of the order type of bat, and Morales was the guy that they preferred because the switch hitter. Uh, you know he's not he's not he's not Edwin and Carnacion or Jose Batista, but he can certainly do some damage in the middle of that lineup. And once they had that piece, that gave them the opportunity to kind of weighed out some of the other options, knowing that they already had that that element in hand. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. And just just quickly, now the sense you're getting is that they would be willing to give up a draft a draft pick for the for to sign a qualified guy like Fowler or or Cespedes or whatever, but that they would actually be willing to do it. Yeah, I don't think Cespedes is on the table. For yeah, that yeah, right I, I was just speaking uh, generally. But, yeah, but um, I, I I believe so because I think if you if you're there looking at the window of opportunity that they have. Right, that if you get the right player, you, you you can really make the next two years. You can give the next two years a good boost, and if you're giving the next two years a good boost, and you're getting a player who maybe even has some value at the tail end of the contract, that maybe you can trade for prospects or something. If you have to go through a rebuild or or a retool or something along those lines, I think that that makes sense because they do need some now pieces. And then you factor in that they're looking at the potential of getting two compensatory picks for Encarnacion and Batista, that, you know, if you still have two picks in what's essentially the first round, you know, you're not really killing yourself on that front. So as we go forward, you're talking about, you know, looking a year, two years out and, and whether or not you're going to be competitive or not, it, it comes up a lot how much is this team going to spend now and then how much does this team have going forward and and that number seems to be creeping up um obviously there's a floor to it now with all the contracts you have in in tulo and uh and martin etc but where do we get that you you used it in your uh your piece today that 160 million dollar figure where is that exactly coming from just so our our listeners have an idea well i don't know the definitive number but my understanding is the payroll number is going up. And 
the payroll in 2016 was roughly 152 million, something in that area. Maybe a couple mil off here and there. That, these are all based on kind of my calculations. I haven't got anything official, but uh, as as I understand it, that's the general range. And so I'm just kind of thinking, you're getting some sort of bump, and it has to be a reasonable bump. So I think expecting them to be in the 160 range, maybe, I don't know, 157, 158, maybe it's 160, I don't know. I think that's a reasonable area to ballpark it. Hmm. And so basically you would be surprised if it's a little lower or even higher? I, I, I'll tick, I tick lower and tick higher. And I imagine that there, there probably is some flexibility for, from a Blue Jays perspective that, you know, if they had an opportunity for the right player, they could revisit it with ownership. Uh, I think the, the relationship that exists now with uh, with Mark Shapiro and ownership is such that uh, you know there, there's enough trust in, in the way that he handles the team that he could, if the right opportunity comes up, maybe go back and, and get some more. But I, I'm not I'm not sure that opportunity is going to present itself for them um, right now. I think they, they've got enough money to address their needs. Uh, the question is, how are they going to allocate it? Fair. Um, so we back to the winter meetings, just sort of as a as a lead in here. You watched Alex Anthopoulos in action for a couple of years, and he was known as a guy who would apparently just be phoning people relentlessly through the middle of the night if he thought it would would change things. Obviously, uh, nobody's quite like Alex, just because uh, everybody has a different personality. From what you know about um, Shapiro. Um, and Atkins, uh, where do you see them sort of, uh, or how do you see them operating? Or are you interested to see how, how different it is at, at this meeting? Well, this is going to be the first winter meetings that we see Ross Atkins in action, right? Because if mm-hmm. you remember, the way it went down last year is that he basically, he had just been hired before the winter meetings. And, and since he was just parachuting into the situation, it was Tony LaCava was still the point man with, with, uh, with Mark Shapiro running, running things. So right. uh, we're going to find out, you know, my understanding is that he was very dogged and Atkins was very dogged and tenacious during the trade deadline. They're, they're very thorough. They're very organized uh, as a front office. They're, they're certainly, a lot more structure, I would say, to, to the way the Blue Jays operate now as opposed to uh, when Alex was in charge. Um, and, and that's not uh, a criticism of Alex by any means. It's just uh, a different mode of operation. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to watch. And, you know, we're, we're learning about this regime as it goes along. And, you know, a lot of people were suspicious of them last year uh, because of the circumstances of the way they took over. You know, I think that what we've seen is that they're they're uh, they're res- cons- responsible and conservative, uh, but they they're still looking uh, to push uh, all the way uh, as much as they can. You, you saw that with uh, the Liriano deal. They, you know, they they, res- they didn't want to spend a lot of their prospect uh, capital. Uh, they didn't, uh, and they, what they really did is they used actual capital to get a player, uh, and they picked up a couple prospects for the far- for the farm system as well. And we could see the Blue Jays looking to do something like that again this winter. I would not be surprised if they make a trade. It's that sort of deal uh, where they take money and, and give up, a, you know, a secondary type of prospect or someone, uh, a fringe kind of guy. So um, we're going to find out. And, you know, some of the – look, a lot of people are still on the fence about this front office. Uh, but 
we're going to really get a sense of, uh, of where they are and how they want to keep this thing going over the next few weeks and perhaps months. Well, they do certainly be uh, seem to be aware of how they want to run a baseball team. Um, it's you know some some front offices you get a lot of mixed messages from, and they seem to be pretty on point. So it'll be it will be interesting to see uh, what direction they're going because <clears throat> they do seem, to my mind anyway, organized about the whole thing. Uh, in that light, of course, if people want to follow you at the winter meetings, uh, where is uh, the best places to follow you other than Sportsnet itself? Your Twitter? Uh, so, uh, off the sportsman.ca, definitely Twitter, S H I D A V I D I. And uh, we're going to have uh, a lot of coverage at Sportsman at the Winter Meetings. Uh, ben Nicholson Smith's going, Jeff Blair's going, Mike Wilner's going, Hazel May's going. So, we're going to have a pretty big team there. And uh, there'll be a lot of coverage on TV, radio, uh, and, and the web as well. So, yeah, it's uh, the great uh, little winter baseball carnival as it were um and we uh we hope to hear lots from you and we do appreciate you joining us in advance of it i hope that there are uh winter meetings and that these rumors that they may be delayed is all just smoke and mirrors right yeah we think we're, we're all uh we're all hoping for that nobody wants to see a a labor stoppage and you know my my guess is that it won't get there i, I don't think that they're facing I, I don't, my understanding is the sides aren't facing such such a gap in issues that it would uh, that they would put it off but hey you know uh, we've seen owners and owners and players get into big fights over less so never take anything for granted yeah i think we all <laughs> learned that at election season um and that's as political as i'm going to get for one night thanks again for dropping by shay thanks for having me guys take care Bye-bye. back uh always good time to talk to uh shy and uh i hope he's stoked because we've learned that there will be winter meetings since we recorded that because <laughs> this as as shy predicted in the interview it looks like we're gonna have that day one press conference hey we got it all figured out right well actually probably before that because the winter meetings don't start till monday and they finished it today oh well the friday morning press conference but uh, he was pretty close he was close. So we have the Jeff Passant. Should I should I read Jeff's tweet? Uh, I suppose Go for it's, it. it's accurate. Well, I suppose accurate. It's it's a nice way of putting it. The new CBA's effects. The winter meetings are on. The Yankees and Red Sox are back in business, and baseball gets five uninterrupted years. So <laughs> he, he is referring, of course, to the rising luxury tax threshold. I presume, which really isn't rising that much when you consider how much the qualifying offer was rising over that period of time um it's going to be 210 million by the end of the cba it's only yeah, but only to... 195 million this year yeah which is up from 189 so i mean six million dollars it's like one dude <laughs> yeah not even a good one um no it's like it's a raise for one guy it's not even a whole guy <laughs> and it's you know i mean obviously they could that does allow them to say be backload deals it's like okay well if ed we're gonna kind of see him we're gonna give you six million in year one but we'll give you 35 in year two yeah so uh we also have we'll get we'll get uh this breaking edwin and carnassian news out of the way <laughs> uh would you like to read this one 
Okay, I was going to go into more what the CBA is yeah, actually saying. Yeah, we'll come saying. back to the CBA for sure, but I, I feel it's like breaking news right now because we just got this news about Edwin Encarnacion. <laughs> okay, so this came from Antonio Puesan. He's a baseball <laughs> writer and analyst for uh, ESPN Deportes 1050. Fuentes informan que Edwin Encarnacion llegó a un acuerdo con los Astros por cinco años y 115 millones. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems to be... That's I, a, a theme. <laughs> we don't know. We, I refuse to use Google Translate, except when someone <laughs> announces it in English, we are going to translate it into Spanish, and we're going to read it on the podcast. Oh. <laughs> and you folks can critique the Google Translate grammar from there. Um, okay, back to the CBA. What have we got? We got a luxury tax change. Um, yeah. We have some kind of change in the free agent compensation, as was expected. Yeah, this one's bizarre, though. So um, we don't really know exactly what it is, but it sounds like free agent compensation is only going to be paid by by teams that sign someone when they're over the luxury tax. So basically nobody. And they're not giving up a first-round pick. Now, what's particularly interesting about that is no one has said whether that applies now. Oh, to... Like yeah, right to current now. free agents, yeah, as opposed to going into effect next offseason. Because if it does, how angry will Jeremy Hellickson be and Scott Boris? Well, but Scott Boris is perpetually angry when the CBA gets changed. Yeah, but this time he would actually have cause. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they felt like, you know, if they were going to have to hear from him, <laughs> they should legitimately. Um, every time they come to an agreement in the middle of the offseason... Like this happened five years ago and there were some changes and there was a lot of, you know, should, I think it was Papelbon, wasn't it? Someone got signed very early in the season and, uh, and the question was, did, did the, the Nats make a mistake or did the Phillies make a mistake? Because now that the whole compensation structure has changed now that the, the CBA has been signed. I don't remember all the details. I probably should have looked that up. But hey, I didn't even know the CBA was going to be signed tonight, so that's my out. Yeah, but it's just interesting that because they have this thing where you they, they had to accept this qualifying offer or not within seven days, but no idea what it was going to mean in two months. Like Jeremy Helton, there's no way he takes that qualifying offer if he doesn't have draft pick compensation tied to him. Right, because he can get a much better contract with no comp- with no real compensation tied to him. But he, yeah. Uh, yeah, leave it to baseball. So that's I'm, why I can't see any way that this can logically apply right now. So you're thinking next offseason is when this kicks in? Well, it's I'm thinking logic. next offseason is when it should kick in. I mean, baseball is not exactly known for its logic. Uh, okay, we also heard uh, a lot of speculation about the 26th man on the roster would be a factor and that seems to have gone out the window yeah completely that was like oh yeah this one's definitely happening we know that that for sure yeah not happening no changes to the rosters before or after september 1st 25 and 40 folks hope you're uh okay with that because you're stuck with it for five more years um yeah and the other interesting thing was that this you know the big push for this international draft which we you know when we were talking to shy that was apparently taken off the table. But now it seems like as though there might be just hard slot or bonus caps for teams of five to six million, which, I mean, that doesn't seem like it helps the amateurs much. No. Weird. I, 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 they, 
always seem to deke when they actually get the CBA signed, where you think you're going one way and there's something you're like, I, I don't think it makes sense. Um, I'm sure there'll be a lot more details, but that's what we've got right now. Anything else that we've we know? No, I think that's no. it. I mean, this All stuff right. will come out as as the actually gets ratified. But the good news is that everything is going to continue, and the offseason can finally start moving. And uh, there's a lot of money to throw around in any offseason. And this one, uh, yeah, it, it might be as uh, our our guest predicted, kind of like the dam breaking now. So now that we're talking about all these things that might happen, maybe we have some questions in regards to things that might happen. Shall we begin? Go for it. Um, if you only had $25 million left to spend this offseason, would sign? Would you sign one star or would you spread it around and try and fill more holes? Josh. That is so from, that's from Matt, Matt Sweetie. Yeah. Yes. At Blue Jay Matt. Um, now, I don't think it's only $25 million. I think it should be Based on Shai's numbers, at least, it'd be closer to 35 to 40 million. But in that hypothetical, you have to spread it around. This team isn't good enough for just one more star to take them over the top. And I concur. We have a bullpen that uh, didn't look great to start last season and didn't magically get better over the season with the loss of Cecil and uh, and some other things going on. So, yeah, I'm not thinking... I don't think there's one position where you're you've just got one hole. Much less to say the you know corner outfield spots uh, and first base because Justin Smoke is not good. Come on, so should the hashtag for that be never smoke or <laughs> no smoking? Like smoking which, kills. Uh, yeah, it could be. Maybe so. Yeah, let us know, folks, if you're interested in in having a hashtag. Um, <laughs> smoke related a smoke badness related hashtag yeah and of course you put the a in smoking regardless of where you get it there there's got to be a proper one uh i have i have my my little photo that i like to tweet out when he does stuff it's it's from calvin hobbs he's saying smock hobbs saying smock over and over and calvin says what the hell is wrong with you by just change the c to an a it fits so perfectly smoke 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 what the hell is wrong with you <laughs> I just, uh, I usually end up tweeting my gif of Kermit drawing the K on the screen in Sesame Street. <laughs> um, so, give me a question. All right. So, this one is another little more theoretical one. Well, I guess it's not so theoretical, but why isn't Dalton Pompey getting more consideration for a full-time outfield spot? This is from Quinn. I think he did not prove in AAA that he was ready for a full-time outfield spot. I don't know defensively because you don't really get... Like, I mean, I never heard anything fantastic defensively about him. They moved him to a corner, which is never a good sign when you're in AAA. And uh, he didn't hit really well in Buffalo last year, despite everything. Is that about yeah, coverage? I mean, I yeah, I, I think it does. He couldn't stay healthy either. So throw that one in there. Oh, yeah. Um, See, I, did, I missed the... <laughs> <laughs> the corner thing, I think, was just to see if he would be able to help the ba the ba major league team because they had their outfield difficulties, as you may remember. But yeah, I mean, he's just not hasn't earned it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, we have a question from James Gorman, Jimmy Double Underscore Gorman. Uh, well, sure, we you will speculate anyway on this, but I'd love some speculation about the kind of package it would take to get Kutch and how would he fit. There's actually another question that goes with that one. Oh. 
think, oh yeah, think a package of green, be a genie, and a low-level prospect will get it done. There was no, there's nothing written with that, but it has to be Andrew McCutcheon because that's what everyone was talking about before we recorded this. See, it's hard to say. I mean, there was a there's a writer for Fan Rag Sports who sort of posited this around. He's he's very plugged in with them. It's John Parado with the Pirates. Mm-hmm. And he suggested be a genie, Rowdy Telez, and DJ Davis. Now, DJ Davis is not really a prospect anymore, so I don't know why he was included. But the general consensus was that because the Pirates are shopping McCutcheon as opposed to just saying, hey, he's maybe available, that it won't cost all that much. Although, in some circles, you know, at the high side of the minors, Rowdy Telez is a big piece for the Jays because although he may have flaws, um, do we do we have another power hitter in the system? Yeah, Vlad Jr. Um, yeah, that's no. Not, I mean, yeah. is a good pro- prospect, and you don't want to give him up. But I mean, but you're not catch. giving up. Any, and exactly, and, he, and he's a, he's a prospect, right? A double A prospect, and if you can get Mar- Andrew McCutcheon, yep, it's worth it. Um, you put Cutch. Where do you put Cutch? Do you let him play right, right or left? Which I mean, it doesn't really matter. I don't think. Probably right field. He's got a decent arm. But I mean, he's not taking—he's not taking Kevin Pillar's spot in center because he's not actually that good a center fielder. Did you ever think you would say that sentence? By the way, he's not to, about anybody. He's not taking Kevin Pillar's <laughs> spot in center. Just saying. <laughs> well, okay, I'll put roller to that. If the Jays got two more outfielders, he's taking Kevin Pillar's spot in center. <laughs> um, Oh, there's an interesting question from BK at Brendan Kuhn. Who do you think provides more uh, FWAR wins above replacement in the next three seasons, uh, Dexter Fowler or Edwin Encarnacion? I actually think that this entirely depends on who signs them. Because if Edwin is going to Houston <laughs> to play first base and Fowler goes to, say, the Blue Jays to play left field, I think it's Edwin because he's just so much better hitter and then Fowler loses all those center field bonuses. Yeah. But on the flip side, uh, if, if Edwin ends up as a DH, it's Fowler all the way. Well, it's not all the way. I mean, Edwin helped produce him two years ago, but, um, but it's Fowler's definitely got the leg up. Because well, Edwin was just so Edwin's a much better hitter. But Fowler's younger, so you don't I, don't... I don't know if you know when Edwin's skill set starts to erode. My money's on Fowler. So we will agree to disagree? For one. No, I I, I, I I, think that it's Fowler if he's in center field, probably, but I wouldn't say it's all the way like you did. All right. What do we got next? Okay, so this comes from Anchor Bodelia, the real Anchor. Starting rotation is pretty much set, but who are the Blue Jays' six, seven, eight options in case of injury rest? Because I mean, he doesn't write this, but the Jays were ridiculously healthy last year, and that's not likely to repeat. So we talked about number six being Joe Biagini. Did we roll that out there? I think that's right. I think it is Biagini. But, I mean, I guess number seven would be... <laughs> Who knows? Roberto Osuna. Um... Yeah. Um, it, you know, the Jays don't have a lot of depth in the starting rotation. And I think this is something they're definitely going to address, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think, well... Um... After that, we have five blanks in AAA, and then they signed a LeBlanc um, last year, <laughs> um, I think. And then that that gentleman went on to start for the Mariners, didn't he? 
when he got, yeah, then he got cut from them too. Yeah, but, um, but the, 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 there is always the opportunity to find a guy who's good enough to be number five for a few turns, and that's who your number eight guy I think is going to be. But certainly the Jays are going to actively look for uh, something to fill out the Buffalo starting rotation that can can be called up in a pinch. But I don't think number eight is in the organization right now. Yeah, I mean, and they have Bolsinger, who would be, I guess, number seven, but he's out of options. So he probably opens the season in the bullpen. And you wait to see if you need to stretch him out or not. Hopefully not. But yeah. Yeah. Health, man. It's... Yep. Uh, from Gabriel Gutierrez at Rock Bard, not Rock Band. Um, what do you think of trading Pilar for Duda? If the Blue Jays sign Fowler, the first base hole is covered with a good bat. Um, I'm sorry. Where is Duda these days? Just so I have Mets. context. He is still with the Mets. Yep. Aren't the Mets trying to get rid of an outfielder? He's a first baseman. Right. but That was the point. But he's saying trade Pilar for Duda. So they're going to get Pilar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's... Well, I wouldn't do that even if they were willing. And then, yeah, you're right. It doesn't make any sense for them to take <laughs> Kevin Pilar. But Duda sucks. He's a non-tender candidate. Question answered. Okay. Um, we had one here that I'm not able to answer because I don't pay any attention to bullpen holes. The Charles A at 11 cash 77. Since we have Olsteville, who are your bullpen targets? Josh, have you written that article yet? I actually have. See, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, the Cecil loss sort of uh, the uh, the immediate need is in the is for a left-handed reliever, right? We only went one whole season without a good re- left-handed reliever. It didn't seem to. Yeah, we didn't complain about that at all during the season, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so there's guys like Jerry Blevins, Mike Dunn, but these guys are going to be expensive too. So I mean, I don't really know what they're going to do. Like Neftali Feliz as a righty would make a lot of sense because he sort of found his fastball again at the end of the year, but his overall season numbers don't look that good, so he might come cheap. Brad Ziegler? I know, I'm just throwing out names yeah. that are good, like, but just I have no idea what they're going to cost or what the Jays are going to spend on relievers. All right. I, bet, and... I expect we're going to see a lot of Danny Barnes and the like. Yeah. Yeah. And it turns out they're still not going to be very good. Um, do you want to finish with Ben Tusim's question there? Sure. At Ben Tusim, I've heard the Astros might be willing to trade young talent for stud pitcher Sanchez for Springer. I'm assuming he's doing that straight up because when we speculate about like 15 guys in a trade, it doesn't make any sense and you can't sort it out. So Sanchez <laughs> straight for Springer. Uh, yeah, and he says, sorry, just joining for Jay's activity and thinking crazy Stuff crap up. up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier, though, with the, uh, the Astros' apparent plan to acquire all these bats and then trade them the young hitters for pitching. Now, I think that the the Astros would probably do that trade. I don't think the Blue Jays would. No, I think I think the Blue Jays put too much value. Now, would you do Stroman for Springer straight up if you're the Blue Jays? Ooh. <laughs> that, that would be an interesting one. <laughs> Made you think. <laughs> yeah. I mean that that that's the kind of change, trade that you're kind of t- they're really talking about. I mean that's an elite outfielder who's not a no sorry a very good one and a very good pitcher, but neither of them are like the elite of the elite. So that would be a fun one. I don't know where that would go. <laughs> All right, well so, we'll leave you with that for your crazy stuff. Um, that yeah, you can good, good old off season speculation. I mean, 
<laughs> There's nothing going on. <laughs> and we've still uh, talked for the better part of an hour about it. Is that amazing or what? I think it says a lot about our ability to just to talk garbage. <laughs> yeah. Think about this, though. If we were on actual sports radio, we'd have to do it for three hours a day, every day of the week. Um, and la- next time you, you don't feel bad for Bob McCown, think about that. Uh, I still don't feel bad for Damian Cox, though. Um, okay. <laughs> so do you have a final thought, my friend? I do. This is just a little fun thing. Uh, we had Josh Kuznick on the pod a couple of podcasts ago. And he just tweeted out, oh, thank God. <laughs> As you remember, he was a little worried about how the tender deadline is tomorrow, the day after the CBA, or sorry, the second, the day after the CBA expired, and no one would tell him what was going to happen. <laughs> to all of his clients who didn't have any contracts, didn't have, yeah, didn't know what to... <laughs> and he was saying, like, this big thing he was doing is working on Jeremy Jeffers' arbitration case. It's like, well, now what? So... You can rest easy, rest easy, Josh. Your guy's cleared. I get, I get the real sense that no one gave him a good answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. I hope it picks up in the next couple of weeks before we come back because I, I'm my timeline doesn't even have any baseball on it on Twitter, and that's all I follow is baseball people. I'm dying here, folks. So my final thought is someone. Please do something in the free agent market so we have something to talk about. Uh, Oh, and congratulations to Eric Thames. Welcome back to the major leagues. Uh, He is a brewer for three years. Yeah, three-year deal for Eric Thames. Who saw that coming? (laughs) Three years for Eric Thames, only four years for Ioannis (laughs) Cespedes. The dollar figures might be slightly different. (laughs) Nah. So hey. I'm going to predict that we're actually going to be back next week because the Jays will do stuff at the winter meetings. Oh, my goodness. Well, on that note, on that note, yeah, I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010. You have been Josh Housem at Joshua Housem. Our guest was Shy Davidi at Shy Davidi. And this was Artificial Turf Wars episode number 38. And we will be back sooner or later, depending on how exciting things are.